I've um, it started uh, a bit of an experiment. I um, uh, am just for three weeks. I'm discussing once a week uh, different uh, gospel stories with uh, a friend of mine who is not um, Christian or really religious in, in any way. So we read this story together and then talked about it. And she had this fabulous observation. She said, Oh, it's a bit of a raw deal for the fish. <laughs> um, and I think I'm going to try and incorporate that. But um, so what we've got today is a story of the beginning of Jesus' discipleship. So uh, the last couple of weeks, we heard about how he'd, uh, he'd had his time in the desert. He'd had his time wandering, being tempted by uh, the devil. And uh, he had emerged filled with the power of the spirit. And he went back home to Nazareth and, and preached. And they didn't like too much what he had to say. So he took off and he went to somewhere called Capernaum and uh, did some healings. And now, now Jesus is beginning to call his team together. So this is first off a very important reminder, uh, I think, especially to people in positions of leadership. So whether that's ministry or um, chair of the board or whether you're in charge of anything, none of us do God's work alone. We all need a team. We all need a community. We all need other people. Even the son of God needs other people. So off he goes to find these other people. So he goes to, now, I don't know uh, all the reasons, but Luke says the Lake of Genesaret, that's the same as the Sea of Galilee. I don't know why there's different names for it, but there you go. Um, so, and I discovered, interesting fact, uh, for next time you're doing some Bible trivia game, the, the Sea of Galilee is uh, the lowest freshwater lake in the world. It's, uh, it's, it's some ridiculous number of meters or feet below sea level. So there you go. Uh, right, so he sees two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So, um, okay, I am not a fisher person. I don't go, I've never been fishing in my life. But my understanding is that some, like fish can bite better at night. Is this correct? Anybody? No? Never mind. Never mind. Okay, but for whatever reason, these fishermen were fishing during the night. They'd been out all night fishing, hadn't caught anything. So you can imagine their mood, right? Because fishing in Jesus' time, fishing was a big deal. Like it was a big industry. And, um, you know, you work all night and you have nothing to show for your efforts. And this might be your main source of income. You can imagine what your mood is. So he gets into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. So Simon's the same guy as Peter. Um, Jesus will later rename him um, Peter. This is the same guy. This is the same guy. Peter is always the guy who gets it so wrong. <laughs> and then somehow is the rock on which um, I hold on. Oh, okay. Patty is helpfully informing me that I'm misinformed. Um, I thought that was a, I thought that was a comment about uh, maybe I was mumbling or something. So that's why I stopped to check. Um, uh, so Peter's the guy who gets everything wrong and then it becomes the first Pope. Uh, yeah, that's reassuring. Um, 
So he asked Simon, later to be Peter, asked him to put his boat out a little way from shore. And then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. And so, of course, this being Jesus, we know what happens next. They had caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Okay. This is the piece I want to focus in on. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Now, these boats were not just little, um, you know, little rowboats. Uh, in the early 1990s, an, an archaeological dig uncovered a first century fishing boat from the, the area by the Lake of Galilee. Now, it was 26 feet long. And I meant to come in with a tape measure and figure out how long that is. But um, someone tell me, like from, from say the first pew to the back of the carpet, how is that like 26 feet or is that shorter? Someone, Del, you're a carpenter. How? Okay. <laughs> All right. Del, Del claims he just works in metric. <laughs> Ross, you got smart Alec. You think it's pretty close. Okay, so Karen thinks it's pretty close. So, so 26 feet. So that's most of the sanctuary here, seven and a half feet wide um, and four feet deep. That's a lot of fish. Like if that size boat is so full that you're beginning to sink, that's a lot of fish. It's kind of like the wedding at Cana where Jesus doesn't just get enough wine to kind of see you through the rest of the party. He gets enough wine to see you through the next six parties. Like if Jesus is, you know, if you're going to do a thing, do it right. That's apparently that's Jesus's motto too. Okay. But verse seven, they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. A United Church minister in uh, Windsor, her name is Reverend Charlene Bailey. She pointed out that this is really interesting because it would seem that when Jesus comes into your life and fills it with abundance, that abundance is not only meant to be shared and meant for community, but requires community. They had so many fish that they could not handle the fish alone. They needed help. And on the one hand, I mean, that's kind of just logis practical. Like Jesus just gets so on board this abundance train that he, like, he doesn't know when to stop, you know, so you need to call in your buddies to help you. But it got me thinking um, that it's very easy it's very obvious, I think, that when we are in trouble, when we're in distress, we need community, right? We, we need others. And I know that uh, Saskatchewan folks, 
recognize this, right? You're a casserole people. If people are having problems, you show up with a casserole or, you know, if someone gets sick, um, someone else shows up to uh, lend a hand um, bringing in the crops if we're talking farmers or um, if you've got a new mother, right? Other people show up, say, I'll look after your baby, go have a shower. Um, if, if people need help, we know to show up. And just a little aside, I want to point out, I have heard from a number of you folks that you don't like to ask for help because you don't want to be a bother. I just want to point out your generosity that makes you show up for others when they need help is also in your neighbors. So you're not being a bother if you ask for a lift or if you ask for help. Okay, just wanted to drive that home. All right, so we need help when things are not going well. We know that. And we know that others need help when things are not going well, so we show up. All right. But what about when things are going well? Like, why do you need help if things are going well? If, if the family's in good health and your income is stable and there's food on the table, well, what do you, like, why do you need help? So I thought about this. And I think, I, I, have, I have a theory. I have a hypothesis to which I will present to you. Um, I wonder if actually when things are going well, when there's abundance in our lives, whether it's an abundance of love and, and happiness or whether it's, a, it's an abundance of material things, I wonder if we need help celebrating I wonder if we need help appreciating and noticing, but I also wonder if we need help um, hold on, it was really smart. <laughs> I wonder um, I wonder if I wonder if we need help not holding on to it. That's what I was thinking. So uh, Jesus has this other story um, in which uh, some guy has a bumper crop of, of uh, literally a bumper crop. Um, he, and he says, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll build extra big barns to hold them all. And then that night he dies. And then God says to him, what are you thinking? Like, you can't take those crops with you. Why were you trying to hold on to them? I wonder if when, when our nets are so full that they're beginning to break, I wonder if we need help because we actually can't carry it all ourselves. I wonder if abundance is meant to be shared and the more we share it, the more we actually enjoy it. It turns out our kindergarten teachers were right. If we share, we're happier. Right. So if you think of if, if good news comes into your life, right, you've you've got word back that you're you're uh, you've gone in for a biopsy and you're waiting and waiting. Is it cancer? And you get word that's no, it's not. Most of us 
will get on the phone. We need to celebrate with others. We need to share this good news. I'm, I'm okay. Or if, um, you know, you get news that a new grandbaby is coming into your life or the new grandbaby has been born. Ah, you know, I need to share this. I need to share this. She's here. She's wonderful. She's perfect. When good things happen, when good things happen, we need, it, it doesn't work to try and hold on to it by ourselves. Part of that is simply that human beings, I think our, our joy is compounded, right? When other people congratulate us and tell us, oh my gosh, that's wonderful news. Oh, I'm so happy for you. I'm so excited for you. You know, when other people uh, throw you a birthday party, it's not like there's some limit on joy because um, we need other people to help us uh, keep the celebration going. I think the limit of joy only comes when we try and be joyful only on our own. I mean, there's nothing wrong, right, with being joyful on our own. We've all had that experience. And some news is maybe too private to share, right? That's real. But we also need other people, whether it's one person or whether it's 10 people, to kind of reflect back to us, to help us uh, uh, celebrate and then um, there is also, I think there's research on this too, about how one of the most um, long lasting delights or happinesses is actually to share, right? That the, the glow we get from, from sharing, whether it's a, a donation to a cause or whether it's um, you know, uh, uh, sharing the, the abundance of our table, we actually enjoy things more when we get to share them. So I wonder if the reason we need community to help us when our nets are so full is because if we try and hold on to these fishing nets alone, we're, well, they're gonna pull us down, right? These nets are so full that there's kind of three options. One, Simon can hold on to the nets and go down with the fish. Two, Simon can hold on to the nets, but then there's so many fish that the nets are gonna break. And either way, Simon's not gonna end up with this catch. Or three, the boat's gonna sink. And in any of those options, Simon's not bringing the fish into shore. He's not reaping the abundance. So I think our question, our question here is, what is the abundance here now? What is the abundance? I know that these pews are emptier than they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I'm, and, and same with so many organizations. That is real. And that is hard. And I don't think it is the only truth. I don't think it's the only reality. So I think the question this story is offering us as individuals, but also as a collective body, right? As the church is what is the abundance that, he, that is here? What do we have right now that is good and life-giving and life-sustaining? What do we have to share?
we might not have a Sunday school program. That's okay. We have other things. And what are they? I think that might be Jesus's question for us. Yes, you're a sinner, and I'm not leaving you on your own. And if you come with me, there will be more fish and more souls and more abundance. So what are we going to share and how are we going to find it? Amen.